This is the Florida Spectacular Podcast, celebrating the Sunshine State. Here are your hosts, Kathy Celestri and John Kyle. Find Kathy on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy Celestri and online at greatfloridaroadtrip.com. Find John on Instagram at Don't Make Me Turn This Van Around and online at Don't Make Me Turn This Van Around.com. Now, discover a Florida you never knew existed. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this week's edition of the Florida Spectacular. I'm your host, Kathy Celestri, along with my co host, John Kyle. Hi, John. Hello, hello. Good to see you virtually. Indeed. Zoom-wise. Um, and today we're going to talk uh, about two things. Uh, first of all, foremost, we have, uh, I guess, what is now a recurring guest with us, Jamie Rich, who is the owner, publisher, and editor of Flamingo Magazine, which is a whole Florida magazine. That's all they care about is Florida, and that's why we care. She's going to talk about their latest issue. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, well, actually, the Jacksonville beaches, which is where, uh, well, Jamie lives in Jacksonville. So thanks for joining us, Jamie. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm glad to I'm glad to be back. Feels great. And glad to have another issue to bet, I'm sure. And out at the printer, going out to the subscribers, going to the yes. newsstands, all that. Yes. I mean, we've um we've kind of taken a digital forward approach with our storytelling. So we're publishing a lot online, but throughout the year, of course, and with our weekly uh, newsletter that goes out to subscribers, our fresh squeeze newsletter with feature stories and you know, all of our content really. But then we brought the ba- the print issue back. So now we're doing that twice a year, a spring summer issue. The theme for this one is icons, iconic Florida. And, um, you know, there's lots of great things in there from um, a story on Goliath Grouper to a, a feature story on uh, the boy band era of Orlando to uh, a travel story on wellness resorts throughout the state. And then a more serious piece on uh Seminole Indian remains that are being repatriated to the state. So it, it really like runs the gamut. Uh, there's something in it for everyone, our new spring summer issue. And then we'll do another print issue in the fall for fall winter. So um, yeah, hopefully people love it. And by the time this airs, they should be able to buy it throughout the Southeast actually in Publix and on newsstands where you can buy other magazines. So check it out. You know, it's a shame you don't have any enthusiasm for what you do, that that was all just, I could tell, very hard for you. Um, yes. I'm always, I always look forward to the issues. And you said something, of course, that immediately got my attention. And I saw it in the newsletter, uh, Seminole Homecoming, right? Yes. And so I, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, in the book that I'm now finishing, there is a chapter dealing with the Seminole tribe of Florida. And their decolonization of their history and how much of a battle it's been. And I, I, they've gone through an incredible battle. I mean, they went up against the Smithsonian for those remains and they, they won. I mean, they're, they're a force. I, I wouldn't mess with them. I wouldn't want to, but it's an, it's really an uplifting story, but sad that they had to go through so much to, to just get there. And I think not enough Floridians really know, or, or honestly think about, the Seminole tribe beyond sort of just what it might mean sort of in a stereotypical way, but like, these are real people, real Floridians. Um, they have a long history, a long culture, uh, and are deeply rooted in our state. And there's so much to unpack there. And this is just one, uh, fascinating element about these, you know, remains of, of 
Seminole soldiers who were killed during battles and then uh, people who just thought it might be fun to take skulls back, you know, to their home states and um, really not think anything of it. Uh, it's it's painful for the Seminole tribe. So, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating story. So we I, live. I, heard, by, um, I read a podcast or heard a podcast that NPR did about how the Smithsonian has like this facility up in the D.C. area with literally just tens of thousands of remains of of native americans of all tribes and you know if that tribe is gone and they're not you know sitting around with a council and bylaws and and, and recognition the that tribe nobody who is you know derived from that tribe can go away about getting their uh, remains back it's it's incredible there's no process for it right right well, and it's a little more complicated in Florida because the state clings to this narrative that the Seminole tribe is new, that they right. only they're only a mixture of escaped slaves and runaways from other tribes. In fact, in my first book, I make that mistake. Um, but the Seminole tribe keeps their own history and, in fact, have probably the most spectacular archive I've seen at a Florida museum. I mean, it's, they've got a clean room. It's beautiful. And uh, they have, you know, records, they have oral histories, they have a lot of things. And they're saying, no, we, we are the descendants of the Calusa and the Tamaqua. Right. And it's, it's a real battle. And that was, that was what was the problem, John, with the, with the, with some of the remains. And they, um, they pulled their museum affiliation from the Smithsonian and they did a no more stolen ancestors campaign. And, um, you know, they're, I hate to say they're fortunate because that sounds really insensitive. Um, they are the reason that any Indian tribe can gamble in the United States. They're the ones who paved the way to that. Um, they, they fought the legal battles. They fought Bob Butterworth and then went on and they got this path out of poverty. And I don't want to say they're fortunate in that there are so few Seminole, but there are relatively few Seminole as compared to say the Cherokee. And so the money from that, from that gambling enterprise really does fund things that it's not going to fund in larger tribes. I mean, they, in addition to, if you live on tribal land, you don't pay a utility bill, the tribe takes care of it. Um, in addition to the, the profit sharing that every member of the tribe gets, which is phenomenal, a phenomenal amount of money, um, they can use it to, for these legal battles. They can use it to try and help De decolonize history and write the story and start to have their narrative heard, which I think is so important. And I mean, Jamie, yeah, it's sad because most people don't think of the Seminole tribe in terms of anything other than the hard rock or I think John and I were talking yesterday or maybe our producer Chad and I were talking after the podcast about something we saw somewhere where they had a Florida Indian in the big feathered headdress because mm -hmm. they just get compartmentalized and, and really stereotyped. So I'm so excited to see that in the magazine is what I'm trying to yeah. say, Jamie. You got You got to stop me when I get going. John, you know how, this. How you, I <laughs> want to ask Jamie how, how she decides. I want to know how she decides what, because, you know, when you say you have a magazine based on all things Florida, that could mean anything, right? That could be yeah. weird Florida. That could be. So how do you decide what's what's right for the magazine? What's your what what makes it 
you know, so that you don't become Florida man. Exactly. Well, honestly, the, the origin of Flamingo is really kind of the antidote to Florida man is what we like to say. So we really want to show more sophisticated, intelligent, cultured side of the state while also having fun while celebrating its quirkiness while recognizing, yeah, there's lots of, uh, unusual quirky things that uh, happen in Florida, but that's not all that happens here. And we have a lot of really fascinating people and um, cultured societies and um, things that people should be doing, getting out and understanding uh, also the environmental issues and enjoying the great outdoors and gaining a better appreciation for that and how important it is in our state. So it's really um, you know, the kind of official buckets are um, travel, conservation, outdoor pursuits, food, music, fascinating Floridians, style, you know, then it's kind of like all things Florida, but it really is uh, just looking at it through a more sophisticated lens and um, and also with the goal of uniting, unifying the state. So it's if we have like this feature story on wellness, you know, we really try to feature wellness resorts throughout the state. So we have one in North Florida, we have one in Central Florida, one in South Florida, um, really trying to tie together the different regions. And um, yeah, just celebrating that, look, we're all Floridians and we should be sharing information. You know, people in Tampa should know about all the great things happening in Jacksonville Beach. People in Panama City should know about all the great things happening in New Smyrna, you know, and just and vice versa. So it's really trying to unify the state and be that destination for, you know, our greatest stories. That's, um, yeah, that, that's great too. One of the things I like about the Flamingo and I'm a traditionalist, I read it online, but I like the print edition. Um, I, I liken it and I've likened it before to the Florida version of gardening gun, both with the production values and the type of things that are, you know, the caliber of the writing, the, the, the stories, the way you try and show the cultural side of things. Um, but you go through Garden and Gun and they'll, I think it's called Talk of the South and they have a segment where they talk about something happening in each state mm-hmm. and they'll mention one thing for each state. And it always felt so unfair to me that, you know, Florida only had one thing. So I love going to the section of Flamingo where you talk about North, Central and South. And it's just, yeah. it feels like, yeah, there's more Florida than just we're, we're more than one state, really. I feel like we're about four or five different states mushed into one. So, And we try to focus on the things that don't get enough air. I mean, everyone knows about Disney. Everyone knows about, you know, South Beach. Not to say we don't cover my things in Miami because we do. But, you know, we really try to uh, cover things and the unexpected stories that people aren't necessarily aware of. So, um, yeah. I really it's, liked I mean, the, oh, sorry, Kathy. No, 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 please go no. ahead. I'll talk. I was going to say, I really liked the, the one about the bookstores uh, yeah. in Florida. Um, my family last summer, we were up in Seaside and we had never been to Seaside and, you know, the Truman Show. And it's sort of this like sort of planned place. And, and I love the design of Seaside. You know, it's downfall maybe is that nobody lives there. Everybody's a vacationer. But they had this great bookstore in there. And I remember thinking at the time, do they know this is here? Is this allowed? You know, yeah. there's this fantastic bookstore in Seaside. You had the book mine in Jacksonville. You had Tom Below. Uh, you had all, and Book and Bottle here in St. Pete. You had all these great places. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And you really did cover. And then there were ones that I didn't know about. Um, and I think 
when people think of Florida, they think beaches, they think Disney. They don't think, oh, there's a great place to go for bookstores. We think of Asheville and, and Malaprops or some of the, the right. destination bookstores of the South. But Florida is full of them. And we're full we of have- writers and readers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, you know, we need a lot of great places for books and magazines, periodicals. Um, our readers love uh, book content. So we really try to uh, think of new ways to cover authors and books and bookstores throughout the year. The indie bookstores are just so great too. And I, mean, um, I first realized, I mean, I always grew up going to bookstores, but um, you know, the bookstores by my house growing up were a Walden books. And then we had something called paperback palace, which was a used bookstore. Um, but the indie bookstores really have, they make a difference. And I didn't realize it until I published my book was published and I went to a booksellers conference and every, all the authors were talking about how their careers were basically built by indie booksellers who really cared. Um, I had an experience with Tombolo last week, a friend of mine, her daughter went on a sleepover and long story short, without consulting him, they took his daughter on an ATV ride. The ATV flipped and dragged her 15 feet. She oh, is, no. she's alive. She Thank doesn't God. have a head injury, but she's, I think 10, nine, and she's stuck in a wheelchair. She's stuck and she can't do anything. And I know she likes to read, but I don't read what she reads. So I basically went to Tombolo and I said, look, I, I want to get some books for a uh, a nine, 10 year old girl who reads this book. And within minutes, they had like four or five different books. Oh yeah. She'll like this. I mean, that's, you know, the bookstores are just so important to the culture. And I love that the magazine is taking them and really talking about their place in Florida culture because um, Midtown Reader is another one. They're, she's incredible. Uh, they're just a lot of really good booksellers in Florida. And, you know, like you said, a lot of readers and writers. So you know, it's, um, you're right. People think of Asheville. They think of New York city. Uh, they think of all these places, but we really have a great community here. So I'm glad, I'm glad to see it in Flamingo. What was your favorite story? This, this the issue? yeah, this one, what was your favorite? I don't know. It's always so hard to, uh, pick a favorite. Um, you know, maybe, well, the seminal story this is just so different uh, from anything else in the issue. It's also a little weightier. Um, so I always do love those types of pieces. And Eric Barton, who's a senior writer and contributing editor for us, regular contributing editor, um, handled that one. He wrote that piece. He pitched it to me, actually. It's like, I've got this fabulous idea you got to hear about. So um Love working with Eric on that piece. And um, and then also on the complete opposite spec end of the spectrum is the boy band piece. So another regular contributor who uh, handles our, usually handles our Made in Florida department, um, Maddie Rasbossen. And she brings us, you know, makers and designers and folks that are creating things throughout the state. And we feature them in our Made in Florida section. But uh, she had pitched this story a while back about just growing up in the boy band era in Orlando. And she was a teeny bopper, self-proclaimed teeny bopper, uh, sync, Backstreet Boys, you know, where she fell in love with them basically from the moment they sort of launched. And she just wrote this really great, fun, sort of 
walk back in time, dance back in time. Uh, that really drew me in and her voice is just so strong in it. And it's a really fun piece. And it just kind of dives into that um, Orlando history and kind of talks about where the guys are today. And it's just really fun. And the artwork for it turned out really great. Um, Ellen Patch, who is one of our designers here, senior designers, she worked with our creative director and they created it. It just looks really cool. So um, I think this sounds to me like a writer's way of getting to interview their, their boy band idols. Yes. To like totally yes. like I have an idea. I want <laughs> to don't brilliant. give away all our secrets. John. I know that that's too good. That's too good. Yeah. So well, my two, two favorites, I guess um, they're all my favorites, of course, but um yeah, those are sort of standouts, <clears throat> excuse me, but on opposite, you know, ends of the spectrum and would probably appeal to two different readers or, you know, maybe you'll be find someone unique who really likes both at just as much. Well, my favorite, my favorite thing in the magazine and it is, is always Capital Dame. Yes. Um, do you have one in this edition? Yes. She's always in the print issue. That's a regular column. And um, in this issue, she's actually uh, writing about the May Queen, which is a Tallahassee tradition that is no more. But for many, many years, it was the, basically the celebration of really uh, white privilege, female white privilege. And um, she kind of just goes into the history there of, you know, what it meant then, why it went away. Uh, thankfully, I think some people in Tallahassee realize like, hey, this isn't so great. Um, but yeah, Diane brings humor to it, but also a really poignant perspective. So yeah, you got to check out Capital Dame in this issue. Doesn't that go along with, because when I, I went to school in Tallahassee a thousand years ago, they had like th their springtime Tallahassee had like an Andrew Jackson tie in or something. Yes. It was like Jackson days or something. Yes. <laughs> like, like gone away now, too. But yeah. Tallahassee is still there. It's a huge festival. Yeah. But it used to be called, it had like, what was it, Andrew Jackson days or something? It was like something. So I was like, I remember being like, really? I, mean, I grew up in California, so that didn't resonate. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're like, wait a minute, huh? Yeah. I mean, so technically, in... he was our president, and he was kind of a jerk, <laughs> but... Yeah, well, you know, the two aren't necessarily exclusive of each other, so... Well, um, the, May, the, May, uh, the May Day celebration, which was part of, you know, crowning the May Queen, took place in front of the Great May Oak, uh, which is on, was on Park Avenue there uh, near the university, and um, that was historically where the May Queen and her court were crowned, but then I guess, I can't remember when, uh, there was a storm and the May Oak fell, and so now there's just a May stump which is still there. You can visit the May stump and it's just does it have like a marker on it or anything like to I tell think, you that yeah, it's, it does have a marker. Sure. Uh, so you can go visit the May, May stump and take a walk back in time. But yeah, her piece is really, it's really thoughtful and uh, yeah, definitely takes us back to an era that we're glad is no more. <laughs> so you're in Jacksonville beach area, right? Yes, yes. And in my Front house, beach, technically, but beach, yeah. So in my house, my wife's from Jacksonville. Um, she grew up in Ortega. Okay. Um, and we have a debate in our house about the beaches because she loves the Atlantic side beaches because of the, the beaches are nice and big and wide. They have surf, uh, all that good stuff. They're a little cooler uh, in terms of the water temperature. I always argue that you don't have the sunset. 
Um, so let's make sure Kathy, because sometimes Kathy and I can start talking and like yesterday we were going to talk about something and we ended up talking about grocery stores for a half an hour. Let's talk about <laughs> the Jack's beaches. <laughs> Let's, let's say they were Florida grocery stores. We didn't were, start were, talking about Utah grocery stores. We were on brand. It was okay. Yeah. Give us um, five more minutes. We would have gotten to Utah grocery stores. We, <laughs> if they had a Publix. So yes, Jacksonville beaches. I, Jamie, do you have a, obviously you live in Ponte Vedra. Do you have a favorite piece of beach? Well, our family probably has a favorite piece of beach because we live literally across the street from the beach in Ponte Vedra. We can walk to it in like 30 seconds. And, um, and we do, and I get out there, you know, probably not as often as I should or would like to, um, for beach walks and stuff, but both of our daughters surf a lot. And one of them is super competitive and, um, so even though we live right across the street from the ocean, uh, she has to go up to the Jacksonville beach pier to surf because that's where the best break is mom, you know, the, the break in front of our house is terrible. And, you know, so, um, the, the Jacksonville beach pier, we spend a lot of time there. Uh, I spend a lot of time watching her surf, uh, there's surf contests there all the time, especially in the fall, every weekend, it's pretty much we're at the pier or the poles, but, um, yeah, I mean, the Jacksonville beach area has just changed so much over the past 10 years. It's really um, come up. There's a lot of investment in the area, uh, you know, especially around the surfing community. So yeah, I think that's probably our patch of beach that we love the most. And down in Ponte Vedra, it's more like, okay, if you want to just disconnect, take a nice long beach stroll, that's, that's what that place is for. And that's kind of how we use that beach. But Jack's Beach has got the energy. It's got the events. It's got all the surfers in the water and it's got the pier, which is being uh, rebuilt, which will be nice when it's open. So. I am. Um, have not spent a lot of time on Jacksonville beach, but I am fascinated by I've, I've spent time at Atlantic beach and Neptune beach. And I'm fascinated by the history there because Jacksonville beach reminds me of a very bustling beach. Like it's a, it's a, beach beach that's busy and always a lot of activity and um new year's eve that span of time like for a couple of days a couple well two, 2019 going into 2020 we stayed at one ocean which is i think on atlantic atlantic and neptune yeah. beach are super close together yes and i was fascinated because i had stayed at um oh, what's the name of it it's the most haunted hotel in florida supposedly uh uh, Casa Marina. Marina. Yes. yes. Uh, allegedly haunted. Definitely uncomfortable is how I remember it. Um, <laughs> probably not the best thing. It was, it was is that just, their tagline? <laughs> they have a great it, rooftop. Uh, rooftop. They do. Bar. They do. And the food was wonderful and the scene. And I love the area. Um, but that was my impression of Jacksonville beach. And then you go just a little bit North and there's these two teeny tiny beaches, uh, one hotel, maybe, maybe a motel to, and I started reading and apparently they broke when everything incorporated. They didn't want to be a part of uh, big beach for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating little story because they really are very different, but. Um, yes, they are very different. I mean, we have like four different beach communities all within a span of five miles. It's Ponte Vedra beach in St. John's County. And then you just, you know, cross over where, um, JTB Butler Boulevard is, and then you're in Jack's beach for maybe three miles. And then you're in Neptune beach and for maybe two miles, and then you're in Atlantic beach. Uh, so it's, 
a lot of different beaches and they all have different police departments too. Um, yes. <laughs> but Atlantic beach and Neptune beach have a very different vibe, uh, certainly from Ponte Vedra, which is more, like I said, family and quiet, um, and a very different vibe from Jack's beach, which Jack's beach definitely, it feels also more like the community's beach. You know, it's got a lot of access, you know, there's lots of parking, you know, People can come there from anywhere, and and that is where you know most of Jacksonville goes and to access the beach. You know, in Atlantic Beach, Neptune Beach, there's um, not a lot of places to park and to access it from the public. So I think that's one reason why you know Jacksonville Beach is so much busier. But um, Atlantic Beach has really uh, built up this kind of retail community around it now with the North Beaches shopping area and lots of is that. I'm business. sorry, excuse that. Is that where um, North Beach Fish Camp and the bookmark yes. are? Is that okay? Yes, and that's also where um, One Ocean is. One Ocean is technically in Atlantic Beach. Like you said, there there's a line there and it's Atlantic Boulevard. So anything north of Atlantic Boulevard is considered Atlantic Beach and anything south of it. And it cuts right through the North Beach's uh, town center. And yeah, on the south side is considered Neptune Beach. So the fish camp is in Neptune Beach and then the ragtime across the street is in Atlantic Beach. I found that very confusing when I was there. And I'm sure the locals are used to it. It seems like, too, there's a big Airbnb community in Neptune Beach. I got that sense that there weren't a lot of locals. But you're right. If we hadn't stayed at One Ocean, I don't know how we would have gotten to the beach. There's one. I went for a walk and there was one access I saw. Um, so you can walk to it if you're staying in an Airbnb or if you live nearby. Um, but the parking can be, there's only little pockets of parking. There's much more in Jack's beach. It's a nice, it's a nice area. I like the history. Um, I like the St. John's river. I like uh, the history. I like to go to, um, where the ferry is. And I had the name in my head yesterday. May not may, but yes, Mayport in Mayport. There's, is it safe Harbor seafood? Is that yes. what it's called? Yes. yes. I love, I love going there and getting fish. And, um, in fact, when we were there, we went there, uh, when we were staying there for new year's and we, I got so excited. I bought, uh, some shrimp and some fish. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, there's not a way for us to cook it at the hotel. So <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I, I I don't know what I was thinking. We we you know we usually stay places where there's like a kitchenette or we have a camper now. Um so it was like, okay, well let's get some ice and we'll put it in the refrigerator and had to figure out a way to drive it home on New Year's there's Day. Probably was, like a fish camp up there that you can just bring your catch in, you know, just act like you caught it. Yeah, and I think then, they do that there at Safe Harbor. Yeah, you could have just had it had it cooked right there. Actually, we took our RV on the ferry side. over there. So um that's how I know that area. So we take it as a shortcut from Jacksonville where my in-laws are to go up to like Amelia Island. We, we stick mm. our RV on the ferry. Yeah. Um, we love the ferry. It's just a fun little thing to do. I mean, you can get there on the interstate. I think it takes exact amount, same amount of time, but it's just more fun to drive, to get on the flight on the ferry. Indeed. It's, yeah. Cause there's like a whole new road there. Well, new to me that runs like that connects through there that, that, wasn't there i feel like the last time i went through there but yeah well my in-laws just moved here from north carolina and they wanted to take the ferry to amelia island recently and so my father-in-law put in you know i guess maybe he put in amelia island i don't know what he did but he put in the ferry he didn't put in mayport so they literally drove they didn't realize they had already driven to amelia island (laughs) they got in the ferry there (laughs) 
And they took the ferry back across. <laughs> and then they got there and they said to the ferry operator, like, we're trying to get to Amelia Island. And he's like, well, you just came from Amelia Island. And oh they're my like, God. what? <laughs> yeah, you got to get on the ferry in Mayport. And That's then awesome. they get to Amelia Island. Um, <laughs> I, I do think the ferry, though, and we don't, they don't, they don't make a big deal about this, but the name of the ferry is the Jean Rabot. And I didn't he, know that. Yes. And he had claimed Florida for France. He built Fort Caroline. Well, Rene Laudner, who was with him on the expedition. But the thing I remember Robot for was that um, he was trying to take St. Augustine from the Spanish, but his ships were destroyed in a severe storm. And I've always thought, well, that is just a very interesting choice to name the ferry after <laughs> someone, after someone shipwrecked. famously shipwrecked yeah i mean it's, it's 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 nice it's a nice little nod to history most people probably don't realize that um but you know the end result of this is he he went to try and capture saint augustine he wasn't paying attention to the weather his ships were de- destroyed in i don't know if it was a hurricane or a tropical storm so pedro pedro menendez um took his men and marched and destroyed Fort Caroline. And then um, he, they killed the French sailors. I mean, and so, yeah, let's name the ferry after him, but it's a fun ride. So yeah. it sounds just, like an article in, in the making right here. Yes, it does. I don't want to, I don't want to contribute to the weird Florida canon anymore. I just think that there are, uh, we could have, we could have gone with a better name. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Maybe, maybe, maybe not the one guy who is famous for not being able to navigate is, right. is who we want to. So um, that was, by the way, the end of France in Florida. So okay, well, apparently, uh, Fernandina is the city of eight flags because they yes. were underneath eight different, you know, nationalities, national flags uh, throughout history. So from. Spanish to French to maybe Dutch. I don't want to guess and get all these wrong, but there's a lot. It of was. It was Spanish, French. I think they count. I've gone through this before. I believe they actually count Civil War, but I'm not sure. Um, I know it was French, Spanish, English, um, and then um, a couple of, yeah, the Confederate flag is in there. But it's an interesting, I'll find the link and I'll put it in the show notes because I think Fernandina lists it somewhere. Um, But it's... uh, we just talked about Fernandina on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And we JV, talked and about how we pronounce Fernandina, Kathy. Yes. Fernandina. Am I saying it wrong again? You're still right. saying it wrong. Yes. Yeah. So sorry. So, I'm a Florida, Florida horror historian here. Um, I'm I'm yeah, from sorry. I'm from the New South, not the Deep South. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm working on it. It's a work in a progress. Carpet bagging <laughs> Florida historian. We knew it. You know, you know, what's so funny is my grandfather moved down from New York. He was an Italian immigrant, moved down to Florida from New York when he was in his late seventies. And he used to get so mad at people on vacation here from New York. He used to call them carpet baggers. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's what you, you don't mean get to, to say. Use that, yeah. Like you don't get to say that. That's cultural I don't even appropriation. Get <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we will put the link to the eight flags to Fernandina. Did I say it right that time? Yes, Closer, Fernandina. Yeah. Fernandina. 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 Yeah. You almost just swallow the A. It's like there's Fern and there's Dina. So let's ask Fernandina to come over. Right. Yeah. That's a good one. That's yeah. good. One. I, I'm going to call it Fred and Dina for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. <now. laughs> right. I mean, Amelia Island's just right up the road. So another beach community that yeah. definitely worth checking. And, and America's Beach, too. Yes. American Beach. American Beach. Oh, American I am beach, just yeah. batting a thousand. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to say. 
That's okay. That's Nothing why you can... co-host, right? Yes. Yes. Keep I don't know what I was saying wrong before. I, I just thought there's a, that's another episode. Kathy is mispronounced Florida places. So well, uh, definitely. Yeah, we might need to the, make a part two and three of that one. So. The biggest, the biggest one was I would, um, the swamp by Michael Grunwald. I, um, listened to it on, uh, I took a trip up to South Carolina and listened to it on the way up there. And the person they got to narrate it pronounced it Kissimmee <laughs> the whole way through the podcast. It was so, and you know, it's not the author's fault, but it was, it, you know, when you're writing a, a, an environmental history of the Everglades, the Kissimmee river gets mentioned a lot. Um, <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, that's I, it just stick in your mind for the whole book. Well, I I tweeted about it because it bothered me, and Michael Grunwald just responded to it. He saw the tweet, and he's like, "I know it. It's it's it, 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 it just drives him crazy because oh, you know, no. he knows it's wrong." Yes, yeah. it's. But apparently, that's a problem with Florida authors when they get their audiobooks. Um, when you get an audiobook, is that the narrators don't necessarily know how to say any of our cities. Right? <laughs> well, I don't blame them necessarily, but you would think if they're getting paid to do that narration job that they would check how to pronounce it. I don't think there's an author alive who would say, I'm sorry, I don't have time to make sure you're pronouncing the words I wrote properly. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so, but uh, right. this generated a whole tweet stream craig Pittman got involved because i guess um something in his books was mispronounced and it's cynthia barnett maybe even said some i mean it was it was a whole thing that mispronounced that's a great podcast idea john we should do that um right. mispronounced florida cities right here in in our headquarters uh ponte vedra beach people constantly um ponte verde that's what we get ponte verde uh, beach so I just go with it. I'm like, yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> it's usually if it's just, it's some, I don't know, like you're on the phone with some, the airlines or something, and they want you to confirm your address. Ponte Verde. Yes. Ponte Verde. That's fine. That's us. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, my favorite is the sea, Ponte Vedra. And um, yeah, we have our own. Yeah, I like the people who try and Florida explain to us when they come down. I was talking to somebody who is not from here about Isla Mirada. And they tried to explain to me that everybody in Isla Mirada was pronouncing it wrong, that it was really Isla Mirada. I'm like, well, you can say that if you want, but right. that's not how they say it. So they're going, well, they're wrong. Like, well, okay. That's right. <laughs> well, we have places here also, uh, John, maybe you're familiar with um, Micklers or Michaelers, and people constantly call it, call it both. It's the beach access in Ponte Vedra, the public beach access is okay. at, I think it's <laughs> Michaelers, but I always say Micklers because it's spelled M-I-C-K-L-E-R-S. So, mm. but I think it's pronounced Michaelers. And um, we actually wrote a story about uh, someone from the family who has the same last name in one of our pieces from years ago, um, uh, Ernie Michler, who was... Um, a cookbook author, and he wrote White Trash Cooking. And it became the New York Times bestselling cookbook with just all of these obscure uh, recipes from, from Jacksonville, from the South, uh, using things like Spam and uh, Orange Cola, things like that. But just the book, the way it's written, it's fascinating at the cookbook. But um, Ernie Michler is, uh, you know, from this area, and it's his family name that it's named after. So, but 
constantly people here. What does he call it? Does he call it Mickler Beach? <laughs> no longer with us. So I don't oh. know. I think it's, I think it's Mickler, but uh, someone's going to probably respond to this. Yes. Yeah. Say, You're wrong. It's Mickler's. Um, I would love that. It's a yeah, we'll we had a, some... John, do you remember the bookstore that used to be in the old Northeast section of St. Petersburg? It was a Florida bookstore and it was called Mickler Smith. No. Really, it was very insider baseball. It was right where um, Northeast Tavern is. Yeah, and there was. When I got here, that was like a different restaurant. Yeah, I'll ask the guy lives in Gulfport. If I see him, I will ask him what um, what the pronunciation is because I don't think it was his last name. I think it was maybe an an homage to whoever this Michaeler person was, Jamie. Yeah. Show notes are getting longer and longer, Kathy. I know this is going to be as well. We've been, we've been going at it for a while. Um, well, on the, on the uh, note of that Gulf coast versus Atlantic beach, uh, you know, I'm an Atlantic coast girl, but my husband grew up uh, in Alabama on the mobile Bay and, and on the Gulf coast, going to the Gulf coast beaches. And he of course swears that the Gulf coast is always better, be- more beautiful water, bluer, the beaches are whiter, just, you know, what, what could be better than the Gulf Coast beach? So uh, we have the same argument in our yeah. household. Some of those beaches up there are pretty hard to argue with, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, um, the first time I spent any length of time in the panhandle on the beaches, I was in, it's on Grayton Beach. It was either Grayton Beach mm-hmm. or St. George Island State Park. And I just, I turned to, to Barry and I said, well, can we move here? And he just looked at me and goes, it's going to be way too cold for you. <laughs> you'll hate it and he's right but they're right. absolutely beautiful it's it's a stunning um really stunning piece of paradise and i grew up um it was i lived in new york jamie until i was seven which is weird they closed the beaches there in the winter which i ugh. um but the atlantic i was petrified of. um and it took a while when we moved down here my mom's aunt was a former swim instructor and uh, she would, she took a while to get me into the beach. I actually learned to swim at the beach and she had to convince me that the waves weren't going to knock me over. And if you think about it for a little kid, that's a big deal on the Atlantic yeah. and the Gulf coast is so relatively calm. Oh, for that, sure. um, well, though up on the panhandle, you can get some big surf up there. It can happen. Get some storms, the storms yeah. definitely yeah. have to come through, but yeah, I think definitely the Atlantic seems a little more foreboding, especially because it's darker. Mm-hmm. You can't see what's down there. Um, it gets deep a lot faster. A lot mm-hmm. of sharks. Um, people are always getting bitten by sharks <laughs> in Jack's Beach. Um, and for some reason, my daughter thinks there's more sharks out in front of our house than there are in ja- Jack's Beach. Uh, <laughs> another reason why she insists on surfing at the pier. But there's people getting bitten by sharks. Just little nibbles, though. Nothing, nobody's getting yeah. losing any well, love taps. Yeah, killed. Sharks, sharks. You know, sharks are so misunderstood. Um, I, I, We're in their home. We're going into their home. So I look. I always tell people if I have to die at sea, I, I, if I had to choose, if I were a fish and I had to die, because um, I was food, I would much rather have a shark take me than a dolphin. Because a shark is very direct about it when it's feeding. I'm going to take you. I'm going to eat you. I'm going to kill you. It's done. Dolphin, and I've spent a lot of time on boats, they play with their food. I mean, I've watched them take 15 minutes to kill a fish. That's torture. Yeah. I mean, and when sharks bite surfers, it's only, it's an accident. They never mean it. Yeah. They they get Dolphins, it's a vendetta. I get it. Kathy and the dolphins. Dolphins are awful. They really are. 
and sharks, I've swam with sharks accidentally and it, they didn't care about me. I, they're always ate, there. They're completely always there. Um, Jaws did such a disservice to like the sweet little bonnet heads and the nurse sharks and the lemon sharks. I mean, it's like, it's like having Charlie Manson speak for humanity. It's right. right. There's a lot of good sharks out there. <laughs> and it, it was, it, they're fun. I mean, they're fun to watch. They're amazing animals. And, um, remember in high school, marine biology, we dissected a shark and we only had one shark, I guess, cause our school was on a budget. And, um, we, the class, we were all standing around as they cut open this shark and it was, uh, there, it was, it was gravid. It was, um, I don't know if gravid is the right word. It had juvenile shows pregnant. And I just remember feeling so horrible for these sharks. They had to be baby sharks, not even born yet. They had to be five or six inches long. And I just, I don't know, had a hard time feeling bad for sharks. After you see a little one, you can't, or have feeling bad about sharks. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I understand that it's more, more, um, foreboding in the Atlantic, especially surfers. Do you ever worry about your daughter with, I'm just um, curious. I'm not saying you should, but do you think about Well, that? no, I don't, I don't just, I, maybe I, I will now, more, but, um, <laughs> I don't worry about the shark thing. Cause honestly, like, I mean, it just, it's going to come with the territory. It does happen rarely. It's not like it's happening every time she goes out, it's not like people are getting bitten by sharks. It's just, you happen to see it on the news probably once or twice a season that somebody did get bitten, but I don't worry about it. It's her passion. She loves it. Uh, we have so many friends who are in the water every day with her and no one's, you know, gotten a love tap yet. So, um, I just worry more about, you know, just the unexpected sort of wave coming along and her getting crashed into the pier or, you know, this, drowning basically is more concerns me than um shark bites so and dolphins the, the vicious dolphins the vicious that, dolphins the, yeah they're not high the on bloodthirsty dolphins <laughs> i always i always <laughs> so, so, I give, so i give a talk uh called wild florida and i had a woman raise her hand at one of the talks and she said how can i go to the everglades without getting bitten by a snake or eaten by an alligator and she was dead serious and I realized we've done this huge disservice with these, these news clips where they show the alligator on the golf course or the, the one shark attack and you can have a thousand people surfing on any given day. And once a year, somebody, you know, maybe loses a foot, which I don't mean to sound insensitive. And that becomes the predominant story. And I always tell new Floridians, look, you do not need to be scared of sharks and alligators. You need to watch out for feral hogs. And honestly, if you get caught in a pot of dolphins for some reason and they don't leave you alone but that's i mean usually the dolphins that attack are put in bad situations but we don't hear about those on the news because dolphins have better pr so. yeah <laughs> that's that's, that's my thing also uh angry dolphin yet thankfully they usually so usually in the wild they leave people alone it's um when you put the dolphin in a captivity situation and the dolphin maybe isn't um wanting to be there and maybe is male um, and you are maybe female at a certain time of the month, it can be a problem. Um, but also the dolphin, if you do try and, I mean, I, I do know somebody who was bit by a dolphin on his boat and it was, it was a dolphin that was very well known. Um, it was a well known one? No, it was, it was, it was, it was very well known in the Venice area. He was called beggar and people had trained him somehow to think that hot dogs and Doritos were better than sushi. And so it, everybody got a kick out of trying to feed beggar. Well, beggar didn't 
like it when you didn't want to feed him. So, you know, if you lean over the boat to see him and he thinks you have a hot dog in your hand, he's going after the hot dog. And if you don't have a hot dog, it could get a little bloody. So, I mean, I, I, I admittedly am in the minority with dolphins. I've seen, but I have seen the video of, of the, the gang rape and the, the things that they do to female dolphins. Oh, man. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the only species other than humans that are known to kill other of their, other in their um, genus or uh, like other dolphin, Atlantic bottlenose dolphin, I don't have the right terminology, um, are the only mammals other than humans that will kill a dolphin that doesn't look like them. Like they will attack spinner dolphins and uh, biologists can't find any motivation for that other than they don't like how they look. Wow. So, so I have made everybody feel great about Florida. Can we end on a positive? Read all about it in the next issue of Deadly Dolphin yep. Magazine. Right. Are you are um, you launching that one soon, Kathy? Is that your next? No, one? no, no, no. Uh, the the press has been reticent to to go with Deadly Dolphins. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I. I Dolphins are everywhere. It's not a unique Florida phenomenon. So I wouldn't, I mean, they're not everywhere. They're not in Utah, but I mean, you they find have them better PR it. people. They do have good PR people. Yes. Um, but um, anyway, it's, uh, they're fun to watch. I know the tourists love them. I mean, I've worked on my share of part-time jobs where I worked on sailboats and power boats and deck boats that would go and take people out looking for dolphins and people love them. They give them a great amount of joy. Kathy met her husband on a dolphin cruise, by the way. I I did actually meet (laughs) my husband. (laughs) Little known fact. I was, I had, uh, you know, I wasn't always the media mogul you see today, Jamie. And uh, when I was a struggling freelance writer, I always had these part-time jobs, but I always had very interesting part-time jobs. And one of them, I was crew on um, some sailboats that went out in Boca Ciega Bay and sometimes would stick their nose out to the Gulf of Mexico. And it was people basically got a, a sunset sale or a two hour dolphin watch sale. And I loved it. It was a great job. I made good tips. And the the man I eventually married was one of the boat captains. So yes, Very nice. which is where I come by my opinions of dolphins. And yeah. yeah, so, but it was, it was a fun job. I loved being out on the water. I miss it. I wish in some ways I should never wish this on myself, but I, I sometimes wish I was a little more, um, free to do that again. You know, I, I find that I spend a lot of time in front of a computer. So mm, not enough but, time on the computer anymore. Same with me. It's it, Florida is just so, they're so great. I mean, it's, you can be on, you can take a kayak out to a spring. You can go take the boat out on the salt water. You can go fishing. I mean, it's just, it's too tempting to feel like you're always missing something. Yeah. My husband and I finally got away after the issue went to print. Um, We went away for a few days for the first time in a really long time. We went down to the Keys and then we ended the trip with um, a fishing, a day fishing in the Everglades. We were fishing for tarpon and snook and um, yeah, went out with this captain down there and his name's Ryan Booth, actually great guy, just full of knowledge. And it was an awesome day, just kind of we, we, we traverse more than 50 miles through the Everglades on this little oh. Hell's Bay skiff. And wow. uh, yeah, I just saw so much of the terrain and it's all so different than you 
you know, expect or you have in your mind. I mean, it's been a long time since I've been in the Everglades. So um, yeah, lots of rivers and open bays. And obviously we know it's expansive, but just the ground you can cover and seeing these animals in their natural environment, it just, you know, kind of really brings things home for you. Sometimes it's great to just get out there and connect with nature and get out in the environment when you can. So it was really refreshing for me, especially to do that and get out on the water. Well, Jamie, maybe the next time we have you on the podcast, we can, we can launch some flamingo expeditions where we, we take people into the wilderness of Florida on these guided trips. I'm down for that. Great way to understand more of the ecological issues going on right now, like with water quality and things like that. So, um, it just puts things in perspective when you get a chance to touch and feel and experience, you know, the great outdoors in Florida. So it's, it's, um, I think it's healthy for individuals, like for your sanity, for your mental state to just kind of reset and get out into nature. But also it's great to understand it because you're seeing for yourself, the issues at play. It's, um, you know, well, that's, that's, you know, hopefully what, this and every edition of the Flamingo and some really good Florida books will do is inspire people to um, find out more about the state and go out and explore, not just ecologically, but, you know, environmental, I mean, uh, culturally and all that. So um, on that note, I think we're about out of time, unless you want to talk about dolphins some more and why they're evil, but I feel like maybe this is time. (laughs) You've soured me on dolphins now, Kathy. I don't know what, I'm never going to look at them the same. It's fine, but you feel better about sharks. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't have any problems with sharks. Where will people find Flamingo Magazine on the newsstands? With uh, the- they can find, thank you for asking, they can find the latest issue um, in some of those independent bookstores that are on our independent bookstore roundup. And um, they can also find them in Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Fresh Market, Whole Foods, Publix, of course. Um, we're on newsstands throughout the Southeast and Publix. So if you even live as far away as North Carolina That's or true. South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, you know, places like that that are drivable from Florida, you can uh, check out the newsstand in Publix. We're always on the book aisle, so not up by the cash registers, but you have to you know, look a little harder. Uh, but we're there. And yeah, books, like I said, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, Fresh Market, Whole Foods, Winn-Dixie, all those great places. So be on the lookout. Awesome. The first week of May, it'll be there and uh, it should be out there throughout the summer. So get some travel inspiration, some wellness inspiration, find a way to disconnect from your electric devices and dive into the pages of Flamingo. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the Florida Spectacular today and talking to us about not just Flamingo in the latest edition, but Jacksonville Beach, Punta Vedra, um, and all the other things. It's been wonderful to, to chat with you again. Thank you guys so much. It's great chatting with you. I appreciate okay. it. Folks, thanks for thanks for listening this week. As always, if you have any questions, just hit us up. Uh, go to the show notes. You'll find a way to connect with us there. Um, and we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Let's talk more about Florida. John, anything to add? Nothing to add. Man, a few words. All right. You've been listening to the Florida Spectacular with Kathy Celestri and John Kyle. Our guest this week was Jamie Rich, the publisher, editor, founder of Flamingo Magazine. And we'll catch you next time.